What's up, Crime Turning Nation, and welcome to another mini-sode of As the Crime Turns. I'm your host, Desmond DeVell, and I'd like to thank you all for listening today. If you enjoyed today's mini-sode, please subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening to this on. Also, check out the As the Crime Turns website to find additional details for any of this current season's stories. While you're there, join our mailing list. That's www.asthecrimeturns.com. On this very day in 1958, Wayne Bertrand Williams was born. And I know some of you may ask, who the hell is Wayne Williams? Well, to some Atlantans, he's an evil, short-statured man responsible for the death of 20-plus African-American children in the 70s and 80s. But for me and many others, he was just another Black life railroaded by an unjust justice system. West side of Atlanta, Wayne was the only child of two educators, Homer and Faye Williams. Truly a young prodigy, he excelled in every subject academically. By the time he got his high school diploma at Frederick Douglass High in 1976, Wayne had created his very own carrier radio station from his parents' basement. He even gained national attention when Jet Magazine showed up and wanted to put Wayne on the cover alongside the Federal Communications Commission. He went on to enroll at Georgia State University, where he made it through a year before he decided it wasn't for him. Over the next three to five years, Wayne would continue to dabble in radio, pick up a keen interest in music, and even go so far to start managing musical talent. He was multi-layered, so being multi-hyphenate was only natural. Around the age of 23, it was alleged that Wayne had become obsessed with law enforcement. He allegedly purchased a dark-colored vehicle and radio scanner. His knowledge of constructing radio equipment would later be used against him. So it is love for managing talent. Investigators allege that Wayne used his credentials as a radio station host and talent manager to lure young children into his web and unfortunately kill them. Wayne was said to have terrorized several Atlanta communities from around 1977-78 to about 1981 by committing over 20 murders of predominantly African-American male children. In 1981, an FBI psychologist, John Douglas, wrote in a profile prepared for prosecutors, quote, The Atlanta child killings commenced when stress in the life of Wayne Williams became unbearable. While fairly bright and articulate, William found himself failing to one failure after another. The Atlanta serial murder case was his first success, quote, When all of the commotion began, in my personal opinion, Immaturity allowed Wayne to become fascinated with the attention he was getting from law enforcement. Sources said Wayne had several press conferences letting listeners and viewers, if possible, know he was the prime suspect of a spree of murders. At one point during the investigations, police would camp outside of Wayne's home and follow everywhere he went, and he would be sure to make it worth their time leading them on wild police chases each time. In 1981, 
prosecutors charged Wayne with the killing of Jimmy Ray Payne, who was 21, and Nathaniel Cater, 27. And it was like all 23 murders were placed on him. No additional trials, research, evidence, or anything. Wayne was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences in prison in 1982, using a few strands of dog hair and a green carpet fiber. Just like today, it only took a little bit to throw an entire life away. Since that point, Wayne has attempted parole at least four times and was denied each time. His last attempt was in 2019. According to Refinery29 and several other sources, through the years after Wayne's conviction, parents have pled that they knew Wayne did not kill their children. Unfortunately, it has fallen on deaf ears. Quote, other parents have similarly argued that Atlanta officials yielded to political pressure and closed the books after Mr. Williams's trial as a matter of convenience. Quote, according to Refinery, many victims' families instead suspected that a white man, possibly from the Ku Klux Klan, was actually behind the murders. There was a top-secret investigation into the Klan that took place back in the early 80s, which was never presented during Williams's murder trial. The investigation, known as the 8100 file, lasted two months and ended just one month before Williams was considered a suspect. The documents, according to 11 Alive, claimed that former FBI director Phil Peters asked for the investigation to be kept separate from the primary murder case investigations because if it leaked out, it would possibly cause a race riot. kids and teens killed over a three-year period. Since the 1980s, the infamous Atlanta child murders have been blamed on one man, Wayne Williams. But moments after we aired that exclusive report about a separate secret investigation into potential KKK involvement, 11 Alive's Naeem Abdullahi got a call from a man claiming that he was the informant in that investigation. After vetting his identity, we sat down with him to hear for the first time why this insider believes someone else was behind some of the Atlanta child murders. What compelled you after all these years to come forward? Um, is it something that's been weighing heavy on your heart? I'm getting ready to die. It's that simple. This is a man we'll refer to as Larry. We're keeping his identity undercover because he fears retribution for what he's about to reveal. He says he lived a double life as a Klan member during the top secret KKK investigation called the 8100 file. Nearly 40 years ago, the investigation looked into controversial claims that suggested the Klan could be responsible for the Atlanta child murders. This is the most heinous crimes committed in the nation. Killing those kids. What harm did they do anybody? None. The missing and murdered children had always stuck with you. Documents state that investigators had at least two strategically placed sources. Larry says he became one after a Klan member approached him. And he uh, asked me if I wanted to join the Klan. And so he did, as an undercover agent. Then I was asked to be the bodyguard of the Grand Dragon. As Larry shared his story, he outlined in details information about the individuals profiled in the KKK investigation. After four or five meetings, uh, the missing and murdered children come up. And says, we got to get them. 
We have to start a war. That's exactly what the 8100 file details. Within the documents, law enforcement officials explain that the investigation was kept secret and sealed away from the public due to fears it would cause a race riot. 11 Alive first reported on the 8100 file back in 1986, and we uncovered it recently. The Klan wasn't after uh, girls. They were after males. Because males could cause a lot of problems when they got big, when they growed up. Larry says he wore an audio recorder, which could record up to 10 hours. Documents show the audio recordings were approved by authorities. You gotta find a lot of records was intentionally destroyed by these agencies. They didn't want the public to know. He's right. We confirm that all audio recordings, including those wiretaps, were destroyed. When Wayne Williams was convicted of two, I said, oh, we quit. This is it. We can close it out. The GBI helped lead the original KKK investigation. A spokesperson says they destroyed the evidence once agents dismissed a link to the Klan. Documents also state that APD was also involved in the 8100 file. They told us, quote, Our investigators have not encountered any files outlining KKK involvement. Larry also recalls details about the boy mentioned in the files, Luby Jeter, who one day bumped his go-kart into a Klan member's car. They referred to him as a kid had run into a car, a truck, or something with a, a four-wheeler, a go-kart, or something. And on February 5th, 1981, Luby Jeter was found dead. I hope they find justice. They're still human, they still bleed, and uh, they hurt. I could hear it in your voice and in your emotions that this is a story that has stayed with you. I can't do nothing for them. Uh, Last year, after current Atlanta mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms declared that the city would reopen the cases using new DNA testing, Williams wrote a statement offering up his cooperation. According to the New York Times, Atlanta Police Chief Erica Shields explained that the purpose of reopening the cases is to give the victims' families reassurance that the city has done everything possible to solve the murders, even 40 years after the fact. Quote, I am not judging the officers who worked on the original cases, Erica said. I am saying with Wayne Williams' being convicted, it allowed all these boxes to be sealed, even if there was nothing in them that tied the victim to Wayne. I think the investigators were under such political pressure that they were not allowed to do their jobs to the extent that they could. Quote. As I mentioned in the beginning, some felt Wayne was innocent, others didn't. I was able to find a piece of footage of an adult male depicting his escape from Wayne when he was a mere seven years old. This morning, we're continuing our extensive and exclusive reports of the Atlanta child murders, where 29 children and young adults were murdered in Atlanta between 1979 to 1981. 11 Alive's Naima Abdullahi brings us a chilling recollection of a man who says he escaped Wayne Williams when he was just seven years old. Isaac Rogers says he's finally sharing what happened to him nearly 40 years ago. Around the same time, his brother went missing. His brother was a victim during the Atlanta child murders, and he says he almost became one. They got the right guy. That was one of the most frightening times of my life, which automatically means you are going to 
be very detailed in what you're observing, and you're going to remember this person's face. Nearly 40 years ago, Isaac Rogers says he walked to a neighbor's apartment with his two cousins, and as they were walking out, it turned into a nightmare. As we got ready to exit her porch and walk down the stairs, that's when the guy that I now know of as Wayne Williams stepped from behind the wall to block us off from going down the stairs. He says his two cousins got away, which left him by himself. The only thing I could do was to turn back around, which is what I did. I went back and I started to beat on Ms. William May's door to get her to open the door. Isaac Rogers says Wayne Williams was still approaching him when the neighbor came to the door. Uh, which is how I was able to tell in such detail everything he was wearing. He says he's kept this secret for years because of fear. I feel great now because I had a chance to share my secret with the rest of the world. Isaac Rogers says he doesn't know if Wayne Williams killed all the victims, but he says that's his brother's killer. 16-year-old Patrick Rogers, who went missing after he walked Isaac to his school bus on November of 1980. Yeah, it's such a shame that he was... Uh... He was robbed of his potential. Investigators say evidence connected Williams to the Atlanta child murders, but he was sentenced to life in prison for killing two adults. Williams wrote a letter this week proclaiming his innocence once again after the city recently announced it was re-examining evidence in the cases to bring families some closure. Isaac Rogers says he doesn't buy Williams' story. Well, it's almost 40 years and he's still the same conniving, manipulative person that he's always been. Uh, as far as writing letters, that doesn't mean anything. He says he's thrilled the city will now build a memorial for all the victims, a request from a grieving mother that 11 Alive brought to the city's attention. Gives us an opportunity to know that it's documented. It will be documented in history that the world won't forget about the travesty that took place here. And he has one suggestion for the memorial. That photo should be one of the main centerpieces for the memorial so that each family will know that, hey, we, we, we grieve with you. Since his conviction, several visual works have been created based on this story. In 1985, Wayne was depicted in the television miniseries, The Atlanta Child Murders. In 2000, Showtime released a drama titled, Who Killed Atlanta's Missing Children? In 2019, Wayne was featured on season two of the Netflix series, Mindhunter. In April of this year, HBO premiered a five-part series titled, Atlanta's Missing and Murdered. If you want to know more about Wayne, those are just a few places you can start. Today, Wayne is 62 years old and still maintains his innocence. Happy birthday, Wayne. That's it for today's mini so people. I hope you all enjoyed and thank you again for listening. If it's your first time listening and you enjoy, please subscribe. If you have Apple Podcasts, please leave me a five-star rating and review if you can. Let me know your thoughts. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. You can tweet us at As The Crime Turns or follow us on Instagram at As The Crime Turns Podcast. Also, remember, for every episode I drop, I leave additional details and information on my website, www.asthecrimeturnspodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Desmond Dervell, and this is As the Crime Turns.